The number one question we get from listeners is, do we have a written step-by-step roadmap to guide you on how to train your dog? We don't, but Standing Stone Supply does. They're the creators of the complete step-by-step dog training program that takes your dog from brand new puppy and gets it well on its way to that finished dog you've always dreamed of. They've mapped out the timelines to help guide you, the videos for every step of the way to show you, and even have the needed gear made into shopping lists to make it easy to supply you. Check out the course at StandingStoneSupply.com to gain unlimited access for all current as well as future lessons and be sure to use the code GDIY to save 10% at sign up. Being an upland hunter in the south nowadays unfortunately means a lot of travel to try and find birds for my dogs. This means it's even more important that my map scouting is reliable to justify the effort. This is where Onyx comes in. I can honestly say that Onyx directly impacts the level of success I find on my trips. Whether it's the private versus public land boundaries, the expanding number of unique layers and features by state, or the 3D mapping capabilities, my initial step in planning my hunting trip starts with Onyx. To know where you're going, you have to first know where you stand. Check out Onyx Hunt Maps and use code G. GDIY 20 at checkout to save 20%. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. You can train your own dog. You just have to apply the techniques at work and understand what that dog's telling you during the training process. Do you have trouble physically making it through long hunts? Is your dog always giving you that angry look telling you to keep up? You train your dog, but now it's time to train yourself. Rocky Mountain Hunt Strong is the company for any hunter that is looking for an effective fitness routine to get healthier and be able to hunt longer and harder. This company has merged fitness and the passion of hunting to help people like you and me continue to do what we love. From the Rockies to the Smokies and every field of prairie in between, this company can get you ready to go longer, cover more ground, and recover quicker. Go to RockyMountainHuntStrong.com and see their program for yourself. Use the discount code GDIY to save 15% and get to work. Train harder, hunt stronger, and recover faster. Welcome back to another week of GDIY. Me and Adam are sitting here in the dark with the power out right now. Just got done uh, eating some dinner. Good thing for gas stoves. And uh, have a good episode with Scott Caldwell of Rusty Gun Kennels this week for you. Yeah, I really enjoyed talking to Scott. Uh, enjoyed when he came down to visit and a few times I've been around him. He's a good guy. And I think that translates to the type of dogs you get. We talk a lot about uh, the breed, you know, as, as DKs, Deutsch, Kurtz, Harris, however in the world you say it. <laughs> I think I got that right. But uh German testing and yeah. and yeah, we cover a lot of ground with him. He uh there there's a little bit of announcement at the end of the episode as well, so be sure to stick around for that and listen to that. And um yeah, so last week our spotlight company of the month was Working Dogs for Conservation, real neat company and and uh every month we do a a uh, giveaway. So we announce a winner for a little swag from each one of our spotlight companies each month. And, and nothing major, but, you know, a few, few shirts, hats, odd and end stuff. Uh, this 
This month, uh, Ben Kerr was the Patreon winner for this giveaway. So he's got a few shirts and a little nice portable water holder and stuff like that. So again, nothing major. But if you want to support us as well as the Spotlight Company of the Month, be sure to sign up at our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash gundog it yourself. And this Thursday, we have another Patreon or uh, spot Spotlight company coming out you want to talk about that real quick yeah so uh this thursday will be rough grouse society we uh talked to ben jones and not going to go into too many details but it it's it was a lot of fun talking to him uh i think we asked him some questions that kind of put him in the hot seat really nothing too crazy but (laughs) we asked some stuff that no one else has been asking yeah they got a lot of changes going on and so so a lot of people that listen to this podcast listen to Listen to the regular ones that, uh, you know, been around for a little bit longer, and, and Ben's made his rounds on that, talking about some changeover. So so we had a really good conversation, asked him some questions that I haven't really heard. Others ask him a little bit more detailed questions about the change at RGS, and so it's really informative, so be on the lookout for that this upcoming Thursday, and so I'm excited to get that one out. I thought it was a fun conversation. Yeah, so uh, anything else, Nick, before we get to Scott? No, just let's just keep drinking beer, wait for the power to come on. Maybe we can record a full episode like we were planning on. But uh, I think we're going to run out of uh, candles before we run out of beer, right? <laughs> Hopefully it goes out in that order. People are thinking here like, man, these guys are always together. Candlelight dinner. <laughs> Candlelight <beer>. dinner. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, anyway, we'll, we'll get to the episode and uh, we'll stop this conversation right here. <laughs> and uh, you guys enjoy. Be sure to. Follow us, Facebook, Instagram, Gundog It Yourself. Any comments, questions, concerns, tips, uh, gundogityourself at gmail.com. Be sure to hit that subscribe button, follow us, share it. We appreciate it, and we'll see you guys next week. If you're currently in the market for a kennel, then be sure to check out Gunner Kennels. Gunner Kennels is the only kennel that's five-star crash rated from the Center for Pet Safety. The double wall rotomodal construction ensures it holds up in all types of weather and conditions. Also, Gunner Kennels has a lifetime warranty. These kennels are built to last a lifetime, and Gunner stands behind that. Gunner also has all the accessories you could need from fan kits to help keep them cool, performance and orthopedic pads to help keep them comfortable and ready to go after long travels, and even tie down straps to help ensure there's no worries for the kennel moving or sliding around in your truck. So if you need man's best kennel for man's best friend, head on over to gundogityourself.com and click on the Gunner link. Be sure to purchase your kennel, accessories, and even gift cards for holidays and birthdays through our link, and it will go a long way in helping out the podcast. All right, everybody, we're joined with Scott Caldwell of Rusty Gun Kennel. Scott, how are you doing tonight? Doing well. Doing very well. So go ahead and start off. Tell everybody where you're coming from and just introduce yourself to everybody. Nope, not a problem. I'm Scott Call, Rusty Guns Kennel uh, in eastern North Carolina, uh, just south of Raleigh. Um, we've got a kennel here. Um, myself and my wife, Kylie Caldwell, um, you know, uh, we primarily train versatile hunting dogs. Uh, we breed and kind of specialize in uh, Deutsche Kurzherz. Um and, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the basis of it. I mean, we work both NAVDA and, uh, DKV or Deutsche Konservaband. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm just happy really to be able to get on here and maybe dispel a few, 
few myths and uh, <laughs> put some better information out there. Um, and and just so everybody knows, I am not a the the proponent or the representative of either NAVDA or T DKB, but I've got extensive knowledge in both. Oh, you're not the spokesperson, huh? Yeah, I am not the spokesperson. <laughs> yeah, make sure we clear that up. Uh, so I'm just going to call them DKs because I'm not going to try to use that uh, sweet German accent that you had just a second ago. <laughs> How did you get started with DKs? So I've been in NAVDA. Um, I, I've been doing the kennel thing for about 20, 22 years now. And um, my start with NAVDA uh, came from looking for a better dog. Um, when I first started, much like everybody else and in your podcast and everything else, I researched a few things and saw lots of acronyms in front of names. And I bought a field trial dog uh, actually out of Tennessee. Um, and it, it was a great, Ruger was a great dog. I mean, he was an amazing dog, but he was not what I had read about. He was not what I was aspiring to go. Um, basically took a break from owning dogs and breeding dogs, uh, and did research for about two years. And what I found was I kept getting back into the same names uh, or bloodlines of dogs that had really good success in, in the versatile world. Uh, you're talking about some of the, I'll, I'll talk about bloodlines later, but you're talking about a lot of egg hoss, Sundanced, West wind kennels, um, Hillhaven hustler, stuff like that. And, um, through connections and through, uh, just some research got connected with Fred Rice with Sundance Kennels and bought my first, basically my NAVDA dog, my first NAVDA dog. Um, Buddy was a great dog. Uh, he had a lot of uh, DK lines in his, in his background. Um, but again, I was quickly running into the same issue I was running into with some of the, the standard German short hairs you find in us and that is a lot of drive a lot of drive a lot of drive <laughs> yeah and not your not your average owner you know being a kennel and wanting to be a kennel and wanting to be set up as a kennel your average owner and your average person um and your average bird hunter only owns one or two dogs right. at a time and you know the time that they spend with those dogs is is not the same amount of time that like me you know i i work from home and i spend six hours a day with my dogs um you guys may be the exception when you guys spend you know four or five hours a day with your dogs your average homeowner your average person that says i want to get involved in this you know if they spend an hour hour and a half with their dog a day um that's a lot mm-hmm and, uh, what I was finding was that these high drive dogs just weren't fitting into the niche of people that I was selling dogs to. So, um, long story short is I kind of scratched that a little bit, um, started getting back into research again and kind of had my mindset, on getting an import dog, um, heard a lot of the myths 
of, you know, the, the DK dogs and the U S lines. And I was, I was doing a lot of research and figured I wanted to get an import dog, but it just never felt right. Um, a lot of, if you go online and you do your research and you're trying to do an import dog, a lot of dogs were coming out of Romania, Serbia, uh, some of the Eastern Bloc countries, it, it was hard to find a dog that was a true DK dog that was coming out of Germany. And um, it, I, I just, I, I actually was almost ready to buy one um, right before I retired from the military and uh, was lucky enough to have been hired by a company that said, hey, uh, a part of the program and a part of uh, us hiring you is that we would like to send you to Sweden for a year and a half and, you know, work under work under the Swedish people that own the company and learn how we do things. <laughs> and nice. I was like, yeah, done. Yeah, let's <laughs> done go. And done. Yeah, done and done. And, and the biggest piece there was it, it, it's kind of selfish. I mean, yeah, going to Sweden is cool and having a job over there. But I was like, this is awesome. I'm going to spend a year, year and a half in Sweden, just north of Germany. I can go visit these kennels now. I can Your go see the dogs. was about dogs. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Yeah, I'm with you. Exactly. It, it, and that was actually my sell, you know, to Kylie, my wife, was like, hey, look, we're going to Sweden to find a dog. And she's like, what? <laughs> yeah. When we talk about where we're going next, I'm like, well, there's there's good varieties of quail in California. That would be good. I really like the yeah. chapter in Virginia. Maybe we could go back there. You know, it's like, well, what about schools and stuff like that? You know, not important. <laughs> yeah. Not not important. Yeah. You're 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 upland you're upland in your game and your dogs kind of dictate where you end up going. That's right. Um so we ended up in Sweden um, and pretty quickly being dogless because we had to leave our uh, our core dogs here at the U.S., uh, we were going nuts. Like uh, we even befriended the neighbor's cat to a certain extent. <laughs> <laughs> Just trying to fill that void any way you can. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And, uh, you know, both me and Kylie looked at each other over the dinner table one night as this cat's walking around our house. And I'm like, we need to find a dog like now, <laughs> like right now. So we got online and we started searching and, uh, this might be a surprise to a lot of people, but you know, European internet is not the same as us internet. Mm. And so all of a sudden, all these kennels that we never had access to, we could have access to. Like we would, you know, do a Google search over there and it was like, holy cow. All right. Wow. And, uh, it took us about three and a half, four months of sending emails to kennels, trying to call kennels before somebody had responded back in an email and said, I currently do not have any dogs, but I know this breeder in Southern or in Southern Denmark who does here is his name and his number. And, uh, we contacted, um, Otto, um, and, uh, you know, it took about a week or so and he responded back to us and he said, well, why don't you come down, meet with us and, uh, we'll talk about what you're looking for. Um, 
Yeah, I'll keep this brief because I know it's been in a few other podcasts, but long story short is we went down and we met with this gentleman um, and, you know, we spent probably about four and a half, five hours just going over dogs, uh, going over breed books, going over pictures, going over, you know, what we're doing, why we're doing it. And uh, he finally looked at me and said, would you like to meet the dog I'll let you have? <laughs> And, uh, it, it, that was kind of a, an eye opening moment. Uh, I think for both me and Kylie was because here's this breeder who's obviously been doing this for longer than I've been alive telling me, I will allow you to have this dog, mm. you know, not, not like, yeah, are you, are you ready to buy one? Are you interested? Or, you know, you want to put a deposit down? It we'll was do literally two for like one special buy one, get one free. <laughs> Right. It, it was literally like, I, he, would you like to meet the one dog? Like, he's like, this is the dog I am letting you have. And he had like, you know, four or five other puppies there. And it was like, this is the one I will allow you to have, you know, take it or leave it. Yep. And, uh, that was kind of a change. That was a change in everything that we looked at and how we did stuff. Um, you know, we talked about it. We talked about going DK because it was, you know, kind of odd and it was nouveau and I was trying to set the kennel up and be different than everybody else. And, uh, but that really hit, hit a nail home that really hit a point, you know, uh, to what we were trying to accomplish. And, um, long story short is, you know, I met Sonia and, uh, we took Sonia home that night. Uh, we had nothing, we had nothing ready. We, we didn't even ask permission from the company who rented the house that we lived in that say, <laughs> hey, can we bring a dog home? You know, it's like, yep, we're bringing a dog home. Ask for forgiveness so, instead of permission. Exactly. Exactly. So, and Sonia is, was everything. It, think of it like if you can remember back when you were at Christmas and you got your first BMX bike. It's like you wanted to take it out and see what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? <laughs> yep, yep. You know, can, you know, how far can I skid? How far can I jump? How far can I do this? It, it was the same. It was the same thing with this puppy. It was like, what can I do? And it was just phenomenal. It was just such a difference with cooperation, desire, the balance between those things it, than anything I'd ever seen in breeding probably almost 12, 12 and a half years prior to that. And, um, yeah, it, it changed how we did things. There's no doubt. So, so you started with the regular GSPs and you just weren't seeing what, what you were envisioning as the, as the right dog for yourself, as well as your, the, the people you're selling pups to. And, and it really sounds like you're just looking for a little bit more of cooperation. Ultimately, is that, was that the main driving force that you were looking for, when you're researching the, this breed? Uh, yeah, it, it was the cooperation as well as the overall versatility. Um, and I'll probably get chastised for saying this, but breeders of any dog, any breed of dog, let, let's be honest. We're all very selfish. I'm going to breed the dog that I personally like. Yeah. You know, uh, you got 
people out there that hey, I want to, I want more drive in my dog. I want to, you know, I want to breed a dog that I can take to the Dakotas and is going to range 300 yards. I'm going to breed a dog that, you know, I can get through force fetch easily because I can go straight from hold carry to the collar and pressure and it can take all this pressure. It, the realistic thing of it is, is your, your average person, and this is why I love about you guys' podcast is, is your average person, your average Joe or Jane that buys one of these dogs and it may be their first dog or second dog doesn't have the the technicalities or the skill set in order to bring the best out of that dog. Yeah, when Scott, it comes to training. Nick and I talk about that pretty often where you see a dog that has all the potential in the world and you go, man, that's the wrong handler for that dog. The dog would be fine if it had a different owner, but uh I don't I think it boils down to people not asking a breeder why they breed for certain things you know it's good to get references and ask yep. people and someone says oh yeah this kennel's great uh i love them and no one says yeah well, why are they great and why do you love them and, and it really kind of goes into we say it all the time and, and w- one of the most valuable pieces that i i was told when i first got into it is find a breeder that hunts the game that you want how you want to hunt it and it, and it kind of goes what you're just saying that breeders ultimately are just selfish and they and they breed for the dog that they want so if you line yourself up with a like-minded breeder that you trust and they're doing what you want to do then you're kind of you're starting off on the right path immediately yep no you're you're absolutely right and um the good thing slash bad thing on the navda world is is that most people when they they buy a dog and they get involved in navda and they get involved in their chapter. Um, and you guys probably see this. I've seen it in my own chapter is that uh, there's a lot of emphasis on getting that dog through utility and possibly the imitational. Yeah. And in order to do that, um, at any age, really, there's a lot of pressure involved. There's a lot of pressure involved. And it, it goes kind of hand in hand is that, you know what, the dogs with a little more drive, we'll say, a little more oomph and giddy up in their go, handle that pressure better than dogs that are, you know, maybe a little more cooperative or a little more softer. Yeah. And, and that, um, that's how I put it is it's kind of like they're almost a little more forgiving. So somebody that may may not be – as refined in training or knowledge it can kind of you can hide it a little bit if you have that dog with that high drive and so you can hide that when it comes to testing but you're missing out on a on a lot of other things with your dog whether it's living in the house or just doing different versatile type of uh activities it's you can hide a lot of it with the drive, but you're not getting that true 100% versatile dog, which is, I think, what, what we're all after. Right, and, and, and that's absolutely true. Um, it, you know, for me personally, on a personal level, you guys hit it on the head is that, you know, being an apprentice judge and seeing handlers with dogs and hosting a chapter out of our facility here, um, it's exactly what you say is, is that there's – I would say probably 70% of the people that show up, 
you look at it and you're like, man, that dog's got potential. That dog could go really far in this organization. It's just with the wrong person or, you know, gosh, I just wish that person would go and do this or this in that, order to bring this out. That kind of goes in both directions. I see people with high drive dogs that, that need to be a little bit heavy handed with them in my opinion and not be afraid to turn up the collar and use the collar um, and, and let the dog know who's in charge sometimes and they're, they're afraid to. And then you see very cooperative dogs uh, that are, that have a handler that's a little too heavy on them and, you know, yep. the dog shuts off. So you see both ends of the spectrum and, you know, I think it, it kind of boils down to, to people not completely doing their research. So specifically with a DK, I mean, it's a German short hair. I'll, I'll let you define what a DK is, but I mean, this is the essence of what we're talking about right now is even within breeds, there's certain lines so people can't just say, well, I want uh, a German shorthair or a Spinoni or, or whatever. They can't just pick a breed. You really have to look at the lines in the breeder. So explain specifically what a DK is. So a DK or a Deutsch Kurzhaar is a dog that has been bred and tested all within the within the confines of the Deutsch Kunstherrverband or the DKV, which is the parent organization and breed club in Germany. Um, there are some U.S. Uh, they allow uh, clubs basically within Germany. There's some pretty set clubs um, within the or within the place or within the country. Um, there's a few clubs outside of the country. Uh, in Denmark, Norway, England, uh, a few other countries. And then within the U.S., there's three. So there's three primary DK clubs uh, that are sanctioned to do um, German testing and German breeding uh, to the German breeding standards of these dogs. Uh, there is the Can-Am, which is the Canadian-American club, there's the uh, NADKC, which is one of the longest and oldest clubs out there. And there's a new club that just started fairly recently, uh, which is called DKGNA or the Deutsch Kunstherr uh, Group of North America. Um, all these dogs are upheld to a, basically to a standard. Um, different than NAVDA, uh, NAVDA is kind of strictly a testing organization um navda does not get into the okay your your dog wasn't a prize one so it can't breed to this other dog uh that's where it differs a significant amount where the the dk uh dogs the dogs are required to complete a certain amount of testing before you are allowed basically to breed these dogs and maintain uh, their, their DK on a topple or pedigree and so on and so forth. Um, that's really what all it boils down to. Um, a lot of these dogs, um, through the years, you know, people get DK dogs and then for one reason or another decide they don't want to go through the testing and then they 
still breed them within the NABDA or AKC, um, which is kind of frowned upon a little bit uh, by the German system. Uh, and you'll see that across all of the what we call the JGHV uh, organization of dogs. So within JGHV, it's basically if you look at a lot of the continental breeds of uh, the DK dogs or Deutsch Kunzhairs, the DDs, uh, which are the Deutsch draw hairs, Deutsch long hairs, uh, DLs, small Munsterlanders, even, um, and a few other smaller breeds or smaller known breeds. JGHV has come out and said, okay, these dogs are, you know, bred to this standard. In order to breed these dogs, they have to pass these tests in order to do so. Um, the reason for that is because in Europe, you know, hunting is not necessarily, it, uh, it, it is absolutely still a privilege. Um, it is a privilege to do that and to hunt with dogs is a bigger privilege. So in order for the, these dogs to be able to hunt, in order for these dogs to be able to participate in hunts and breed and move forward, you know, the organization has to say, okay, these dogs are qualified and approved and these different testing sanctions in order to do so. Um, and, and there's a big, you know, there's a lot of controversy between the, the true German and DK and German lines and, uh, the American, uh, breeding process, basically, you know, uh, we talked about it when I was up there, you know, any Joe Schmo in the U S can breed two, two short hairs together and say, Hey, I got an AKC litter. <laughs> Plenty of them do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, They're a dime I a mean dozen. realistically, yeah. Realistically guys, you know, this as well as I do. And I know Adam does, you can go on Craigslist and find, you know, eight dozen litters being born right now. Oh, yeah. you know? <laughs> Ranging from $200 to $2,000. Yeah. You know, I picked the uh, cheapest one with my first, with my first short hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it, it, that's really what it boils down to. And, and for us and, and our kennel and how we do things, uh, to me, it, it kind of makes sense to have, proven dogs that you want to breed together um, and to have certain qualifications before you decide, okay, I'm going to breed this male with this female or this female with this male. Um, you know, that it just, it makes sense. It's just common sense to me. And, and constantly, I mean, especially when somebody new shows up to NAB to the, one of the most common questions you're going to get is why did you know, Joe Schmo over there get mad at me because I called his draught a, a German wire hair. <laughs> and it's pretty much what you just yep. described is I, I tell him, you know, the, the, the German testing system, it's, it's very similar testing perspective as NAVDA, but it also acts as kind of a, a, a breed guidelines. I mean, you have to literally test your dog and then apply to, to breed your dogs with the, the right pairings. And so it kind of adds an extra, extra element and I don't I don't know if hurdles the right word for it I think it's quality control yeah it's just quality control and, and it's and you know it, it's been around for decades and and it produces 
specific line do you kind of know okay if this is a true dk line or dd line or or dl line that that the level of testing and and approval for that litter it's it should all be right there for you to check it and that may not be what you want still just like you were talking about scott with you going through quite a few dogs before you really found what you wanted that doesn't mean that that a, a german system dog will be right for everyone it i think yep. i think it just means that that you can kind of look at the description of what this dog's going to be and you've got a better chance of getting that yep no i i agree i mean a, a dk dog is not for everybody um you know if you talk about and I'll jump to it real quick because it's I'm staring at it right now. Is you know myths, myths and facts of DK dogs. Yep, that's where uh, we're just going. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've heard every story in the book. You know, everybody that I run in NAVDA with, it's like, oh, DKs are are maniacs, or I can't get them <laughs> off of fur, or I can't do this, or I can't do that, and you know, I look at them and I just say, what? Where are you getting your dogs from? Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I, uh, currently we own three DK, uh, dogs, uh, two females and a male and all three, none of them are maniacs. Now, granted, all three of my dogs come from Southern Denmark, uh, and are DK dogs. It, I, I don't know where they're finding these dogs that are like, flipping out all the time or can't, you know, sit in a kennel or can't, you know, sit still for five minutes. Um, it, it just boil. I mean, it, it kind of boils my blood a little bit. Now, <laughs> when it comes, when it comes to all DKs are sharp or all DKs, you know, they want to kill everything they see. There's a small element of truth to that. And <laughs> the reason, <laughs> The reason for that is, um, and it's not an element of truth where people would be like, oh, they want to kill everything they see. True German dogs, true bred German bred dogs. Um, we have to remember what these dogs were produced for. And these dogs were really produced more for the recovery of gain than they were for how we look at them at NAVDA. And when we say the recovery of, right. When we say the recovery of game, we mean all game. I mean, a roe deer, uh, a boar, uh, a fox, a rabbit, um, you know, a, a duck, a pheasant. You know, if you think about it for us, I mean, okay, are we fine with, you know, we shoot or we wing a rooster and it hits the ground and takes off running and our dog goes over there and tackles it and crunches it once or twice and dispatches it and then brings it back to us. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you know, I'm cool. I don't have a kicking chicken on my hands. <laughs> um, you know, but everybody gets mortified when, you know, a dog runs over and grabs a rabbit and, and it shakes it and you hear the bones crunching and, and then they bring it back to you with a wagging tail. Like I got it, dad. I got it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it just did its job. Well, ooh, well rabbits ooh. are soft and yeah. fluffy and cute and, and birds are just messy with feathers. I yep. mean, that's what it boils yeah. down to. <laughs> it, 
and you know, and when they say, you know, oh, my dog won't stop chasing deer. Well, in, in Germany, they're bred to do that. Yeah. You know, they're, they're certain to a certain extent, they're bred to track fur and feather. And equally. even our Americanized short hairs, at some point, they trace back to Germany. Now, they're not all DKs, but you look far enough back in their pedigrees, you're going to see the German, the original German line start popping up. So it's it's in there. And sometimes it surfaces oh, yeah. in some dogs and not so much in others. A- absolutely. Um, I mean, you look at some of the best lines in the U.S., and I dare to say you go back four to five generations, maybe six and some, depending on how, how many litters they breed a year, they all go back to DK lines, every single one of them. Um, you know, DK or German short hairs came to the U.S. in the 30s and the 20s, you know, um, and we're, we're really kind of established in the U.S., sometime around the thirties and forties, right before the war. So to say that, you know, the American lines, when you start looking at dogs, like if you see moose guard in your lines, well, they're known for a lot of drive and they're, they're field trial lines. You start looking at other lines like pot and, uh, hag house and Potoms. Stradivarius, they're all tied to a lot of NAVDA lines. And you go back, you know, uh, who I like, Clyde. Clyde's a great guy, an amazing trainer, an amazing breeder. You know, sharpshooter lines all tie back to DK lines somewhere. Right. Um, Sundance, you know, Sundance lines, Friedelshine, you know, some of these other top, we'll say NAVDA kennels all tie back somewhere some DK lines, but it goes back to that, um, you know, breeders are kind of selfish where, you know, they found what they liked in the German lines and then they kind of tweaked it and they played with it and they tweaked it a little bit more and they made it fit NAVDA really is what it, what it boils down to. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of what you said. They, they just tweaked it to fit nabbed in in the specific testing system and maybe the just the type of game and and hunting that they're doing here as opposed to what the germans prioritize overseas so it's kind of like what you're just talking about with the myths and everything i mean it since i've been in this world the only thing i've ever heard about a a dk is you know they're gonna eat your car in half or destroy your house and so it's it's kind of like people forget that the u.s gsp lines the foundation of that was the german german lines and so it's kind of like you're going back to the foundation that started it all and you're really right getting that true versatile dog and and you're not i don't know if watered down is the right word for it with the gsp american lines but saturation it's, it's kind of like they've been saturated over just decades and every joe schmo in their backyard breeding gsps that you can find on craigslist it's kind of like you're you just went straight to the source to get what they were originally designed to do that that, that's right and that's you know that was me being selfish i'll I'll put myself on the line there (laughs) I, i i was looking i was looking for a specific dog i was looking for a specific 
you know, cooperation and temperament level and, and, and everything else. And that's really what I did. Right. So, and that, that whole thing that, that kills me with the, when every time I hear like, yep, you own a DK dog, how many, how many freaking chairs is he eating or how many, <laughs> how you many know, cats is he how killed many in the cat- neighborhood? <laughs> yeah, exactly. How many, how many cats are in your neighborhood and stuff like that. And I'm just like, Oh geez, you know, <laughs> it, it just hurts my heart to a certain extent because it, that's not the dogs I own. Right. You know, that's not the dogs I brought back from Germany. Mm. And there's a lot, there's a lot to be said with, you know, we, we opened the interview with what it took in order for me to get the dogs I've got. And, you know, there's a lot of your listeners and there's probably a lot of people out there that go down the path that I almost went down, meaning that they do the research, they look online, they find this kennel that's overseas. They think they're going to get an import dog, but the reality of the situation is, and this is, uh, I'll put my name on this. The German kennels are not selling or sending their best and their brightest to just anybody in the U S right. Yeah. They're not, there's no reason to send their best. I mean, they might as well people here. Oh, I got an import dog from name your country. And some people automatically think, Oh wow, it's an import. It must be good. Well, not necessarily. Yeah, maybe, but it could also be like the Germans are like, yeah, we'll send them, you know, an import and they, they know that, that we're going to be excited about it and they send their worst dog out of the litter. Well, they, they want to keep the best dogs to improve their lines. Absolutely. And so, you know, they'll, they'll be like, okay, I'm willing to send them a dog, but this one may not be what I want in my line. So let's just go send them that one instead of the ones that I truly want to keep. Right. And there's a, there's very few kennels uh, in the U.S. that I feel have good connections with breeders and the overall organization over in Germany um, that, you know, continually, uh, you know, they, they bring dogs over, they bring dogs back to Germany, they test dogs in Germany, they test dogs here. There's very, very few kennels that actually have that relationship with what I would call a partner kennel over there that, you know, they're bringing, you know, this quality of dog into it. Um, it, you know, breeding is literally statistics. It is averages. And when you look at it, you know, we'll just say you have 10 puppies. You could have 10 puppies and six out of those 10 puppies are phenomenal. And then four of them are kind of like, eh, or maybe two of them are like, Ooh, eh. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Ooh. and the, it boils down to is those two or three puppies are what they're looking at and saying, okay, nobody here in Germany bought them. Nobody here in wherever bought them. Um, let me put it online. Oh, look, there's a place in South Carolina that wants to buy my puppy. Okay, cool. Just because it's an import. So I think that probably ties into why they get a bad name with some of this stuff. And there are some, some myths that, that have some reality to it, but your dogs are different because you got to go over and, and describe what you wanted and then 
you know, the guy was like, this is the dog for you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, I, I praise every day. Um, Otto Jensen, um, Otto is, is, he's a close friend of mine. He's been doing this longer than all of us have been alive, probably together. Uh, the man's 81 years old, mm. uh, and has been breed has been breeding short hairs since he was 16. Um, you know, it, it, he knows a good dog. Let's just put it that way. Right. And, um, I was very honored by the fact that when he gave me Sonia, um, you know, he looked at me and he said, you know, this was the dog that I was going to keep, uh, to breed. And so the fact that he was giving me a dog that he was going to keep within his breeding program, um, meant a lot. I mean, that said a lot, you know, the, the fact that this was a dog that he had over 12 weeks looked at mentored, you know, evaluated and said, yep, this is one I want to keep and hang on to. And then, and then eventually sold to me, that meant a lot, you know, that, that, that really showed that he cared about the dogs and he, and he understood what we were trying to do. Right. So, so essentially while you're over there, you got to follow the good advice that, that we try and steer everybody down the path here stateside as far as how to find find a breeder see the dogs in action get to know your breeder trust your breeder find out exactly what they're working with and then pick your pick your pup so you got to do that in person over there where the average person over here doesn't have that opportunity to overseas and then so let's go back to you know you have them stateside now and and you talked about a lot of the a lot of the big name GSP breeders here, it's kind of like they molded their lines. They took the DK and kind of made it more NAVDA specific. So let's jump into the testing and the DK specific testing. And let's just, let's just describe the test that the DK goes through specifically, and then we'll relate it to NAVDA. Yep, not a problem. So it, to start off with is that all testing of the German dogs is governed by an organization called the JGHV. And JGHV has basically outlined what these dogs need to do in order to accomplish certain tasks in order to be qualified to one, either breed and or be qualified to be taken on hunts. Um, within the DK world and, and talking DK specifically, um, there's four very specific tests. Two of them are, are pretty much mandatory in order to just breed your dogs. Um, it, it starts off with the Derby, the Derby test. Um, the Derby test is conducted. Uh, if your dog was whelped or born prior to one December, um, that dog must complete a derby test that following spring. So if your dog was born in, we'll say, September or October, it's going to be completing a derby test in that spring, sometimes in the spring. And the derby test is only held in the springtime. Um, The derby test consists of primarily field work, uh, some gun sensitivity, and um, uh, missing what the name is, but basically a, a calmness test. Um, so 
Uh, here in the States, uh, we, it's basically because we do a lot of, we'll say released game or liberated game. Um, in Germany, it's all on, on wild game. So you will be expected to hunt your dog in open fields and varied terrain. The dog has to show that it has a search, not on different than NAVDA. It must show that it can find game or identify where game is or has been, and then um, potentially point, uh, you know, either a planted bird or a released bird. In Germany, it's going to be a wild, wild piece of game, either a hare or a pheasant um, that's out in the fields. Um, during that, sometime during that portion, they will fire uh, at least one shot, uh, to test the dog's sensitivity to, to shot and sound. Um, and then following all of that, they will do, the, uh, the calmness test where the dogs are expected to either on tether or off tether, uh, approximately five meters apart, be set down in the down position or the sit position. Uh, you as a handler will walk away from the dogs and you'll walk away from the dogs for about five to 10 minutes or longer um, until the judges are satisfied with your dog's calmness. And your dog is expected to sit there or lay there calmly. That's a big test for uh, a young without, pup. Yep. Without barking, without flipping out, without trying to, you know, gnaw the leash off of wherever it's tethered to, um, you know, they're, they're expected to do that. Um, that's all within that first, for most dogs within that first year of life. Um, if you're lucky enough to have a dog that was a spring dog and it was born in the spring, then you've got basically almost a year to train and plan for the Derby. Um, the Psalms test is the next level of testing. Uh, and that is a requirement that the dog must complete both Derby and Psalms um, prior to being recognized or being, uh, approved to be able to be bred, uh, the Psalms and or AZP, which I'm not going to get into that acronym, <laughs> but the, the AZB test, the Psalms is done the first fall of that dog's life. So immediately following the Derby, you go through summer and then that fall, the Psalms or the AZP is held in it. And again, that's only held in the fall. Um, that is basically a NADA UT light. Um, you will do field work. Uh, the dog is expected to all the same things, search, expanded search, cooperation in the field, point and hold game on flush. Um, there's no birds shot during the, uh, the field phase. And then you work into the other pieces of it. And this is where the Germans differ a lot from the NAVDA piece in the fact of recovery of games. So you will do a 150 meter duck drag, which is a duck drag and retrieve to hand, not unlike the NAVDA piece. You will do a 400 meter rabbit drag very same, same exact requirements, retrieve, uh, track and retrieve to hand. You will do, um, three water events 
that are, uh, depending on the, the testing grounds, they generally will do a blind retrieve that is approximately 50 meters long, uh, no more than 50 meters long. So you'll do a blind retrieve across water uh, for a duck. Following that, you'll do a gun sensitivity test where they will, from the shore, and while your dog is watching, um, they will throw the duck out into the water. You send your dog on the retrieve. In the process of that retrieve, they will fire a shot into the water, I'll say close to the dog um, or in the vicinity of the dog. Uh, this is basically to test that your dog will not leave game in the field. You know, if you think about it, that, you know, if we're duck hunting, you shoot a duck and you may have a cripple out there you want to dispatch. Um, you know, the dog doesn't leave the current piece of game and or show sensitivity like, holy crap, what was that? You know, it, that's really what that, that portion of the test is meant to, uh, to accomplish. And then there is a duck search where they will release a duck approximately five to 10 meters from the shore, run it off into uh, cover. You'll come up and with no precursor, unlike NABDA, there's no shot, there's no blank. You basically line your dog up and you tell them to search or fetch and you send your dog and your dog is expected to independently search for that duck up to nine minutes. If the dog produces the duck, they will dispatch the duck and your dog is expected to retrieve. If your dog doesn't produce the dog, duck, but does a good nine minute search, they will throw a duck out and your dog is still expected to retrieve to hand. Wow. So, so that is the very similar to NAVDA, but, uh, just a little different. It requires the retrieve yeah. on the duck search yep. and it, and like you said, it starts a little closer to shore though. Whereas, you know, most of the duck searches I've seen in testing on NAVDA, you're, they're kind of doing it across whatever body of water you're at. This sounds like you said five to 10 meters from the shore that you're sending from. So you, you do have that little scent, scent pocket a little closer to where you're sending them, right? That That's correct. And the, the biggest difference I think is, the scent pocket's there, but there's no precursor. So within NABDA uh, at the utility and the UPT test, you bring your dog up to the edge of the water, you fire a blank, and then you send your dog. So that that piece of it, you know, when you're when you're talking about testing and or training, that's kind of a huge thing because if you've taught your dog all this life that you're going to make a shot and there's something out there, you will find something. Uh, I just killed it. And then send your dog. There's a little more ramp up. You know what I mean? The dog's yeah. got a little more, Ooh, I want to go get it. They get that. Versus adrenaline. You just, yep. Yeah. Versus you just walk up to walk up to the edge of the water and say, all right, go find it, brother. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I like that scenario a little bit better because you know, when, when I'm training duck search, I don't use any gunshot to send them because of that very reason. And, and we've seen the people that do a gunshot every single time. A couple things happen. Say they find the duck during the duck search on, on utility and they, they retrieve the duck back to you. And then you have to resend, but you don't get a gunshot on that resend. And the dog yep. doesn't do good on the resend. But also, I like the fact that it requires a retrieve of a duck in the in the German system because 
how many times have we seen people they they almost train the duck search and then when it gets to the test they actually send their dog in hopes that it doesn't find the duck because then it's required to retrieve once it finds the duck and right and if they don't find the duck that's fine as long as they keep searching but it's i mean i've heard it from a lot of people is ideally you want your dog to go out stay out and not find a duck yep yeah and, and that's the biggest piece i mean you know you think about what i stated a couple times as far as the germans requirement and desire to recover game you know everything in all these tests end with a retrieve absolutely end with a retrieve. I don't care if it's the BTR. I don't care if it's a blood trail. I don't care if it's a, uh, Psalms or IPK or anything along those lines. It ends with that dog recovering that game and bringing it to hand, mm. you know? So, um, that's a piece. And, and like you said, I've, I've seen a lot of people in NAVDA do exactly what you're saying. Uh, you know, man, I just hope my dog stays out there 10 minutes and doesn't come back with anything. Absolutely. You know, know, (laughs) to me, I'm kind of looking at like, man, that dog, it just failed. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I mean, I've actually seen, seen a couple dogs, not many of them that that they don't like live ducks in the water. And when you're out there training with them, if they come across a live duck, I mean, they just search over the search is over. They're shut down. They're coming back. And then I've seen those dogs get a four in the utility test on duck search because it didn't come across a duck. And it's just, if they were required to come across a duck, they, they would have, I don't know, failed as, you know, I I don't know how the prizes work with the German system, but it's, you know, if it was required to retrieve, they would have just blinked it and shut down altogether. Well, I think a lot of people would tell you that, uh, you're still seeing the dog retrieve a duck because of the, the blind sequence, you know, the remain by blind and everything, but that's a dead duck. So, uh, what Nick's talking about well, is we've seen some dogs that do not like live ducks, but have no problem retrieving a dead duck. Right. So you're, you're absolutely right, but do not forget. So both in the NAVDA and the German system. Okay. The requirement is that all game must be retrieved to hand. So as an apprentice within NAVDA, if I'm watching a dog on an active duck search encounter a duck and then gets into a duck chase and then leaves that duck, okay, just basically says, nope, not getting it, and then comes back to the handler, I'm going to adjust that dog score. Right. You know, and that's just, I mean, that's just the truth of it is that if your dog is in an active search on a duck and says, yep, there's the duck and the duck's, you know, flapping in the water because it's missing flight feathers and it's running away from the dog and the dog goes, nope, not today. Yep. And then comes back to the handler. I'm go. I'm going to adjust the dog score appropriately. I was wondering um, if you were going to keep yourself uh, safe there, Scott, when you said you were going to <laughs> adjust the dog score. I was waiting for you to say, I'm failing that dog. We'll, we'll leave it at that. I can't say I'll fail the dog. Yeah. Yeah. It depends on the dog and depends on the situation, but yeah, yeah, that's, that's exactly what would happen. So, so uh, tell us a little bit like, so we've talked about Derby Psalms, AZP. Um, what's the, what's the highest level of, of testing in the, the German system? 
So the highest level testing in the German system is what they call the Clemens test. Uh, the Clemens test is only run on even years. So they just had one in 2000. They'll have another in 2022. Um, and it is reserved only for dogs that have completed the IPK or the NAPK, which the IPK, and I'll get into, I know they're acronyms, but it is the <laughs> International Kunzerprofen and the North American Kunzerprofen. And basically what it is, is it is a Psalms test on steroids, meaning that, so Psalms and AZP, the difference between Psalms and AZP, Psalms test is expected that first fall. If for some reason your dog's not ready, if for some reason your dog is injured, for some reason your dog comes in the heat and you don't want to test it, then you are allowed within German system to complete the AZP test um, at any time during that dog's life in order to qualify that dog to, uh, to be breed quality. The AZP is the same tasks as the Psalms test. However, they're judged a little more harshly. So if you think of it almost like the difference between UPT and utility, it, it's about similar to that where, okay, the Psalms test, it's kind of understood that this is a one to one and a half year old dog. There may be some mistakes made. There may be some, you know, the, the cooperation might not be there yet, but you could get a passing score in a Psalms and with a young dog. And then that dog do the exact same thing and run an AZP and possibly not pass um, due to how it, how it, conducts itself that makes sense so the and azp it's, it's because it's an older dog right right the expectation is that it's an older dog and should have uh you know a little more training and a little more knowledge and a little more control the ipk and the napk are the same tasks as the psalms but they're judged literally to a a go or no-go standard so it, your dog has to to heal off leash all the time. The dog, you know, every time from the time you let that dog off the tailgate to the time that dog completes the task and goes back on the tailgate, the dog's under judgment. So, you know, if you're, you know, you pop your dog off the tailgate and you're walking to the event and you're like, Hey, heal, 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 heal. They're, <laughs> they're making note of that. You know, they're making wow. absolute note of that. Um, being that, you know, going to the Clemens, the Clemens is a three-day test. And when I say a three-day test, not like the Invitational, it is a true three-day test. In other words, you will do tasks all three days. Wow. So uh, it has uh, a driven hunt. It has a uh, blood trail. It has a 20-hour blood track. It has, um, you know, shooting and, and brace work. Um, it, and it's only conducted in Germany. So the Clemens is only conducted in Germany. Very few U.S. dogs uh, actually go and complete the Clemens in Germany and get the Clemens title or the what we call the KS title. Um, there's very few dogs that actually complete 
and there's not many on record that have actually completed the NAVDA versatile championship and the claimants um, at the same time. Um, it's it's kind of like that unicorn or whatever. Yeah. So. Well, it sounds like if you train for the German system, completing all your NAVDA tests are probably not an issue, I would imagine. What do you, I mean, what do you think on that? It, it, I... I do not disagree. The NAVDA system was set up based off of the German system. Uh, Bodo, when he had influence and he was designing the NAVDA system, it was absolutely based off of uh, what the Germans look at as far as what their requirements are and testing or, or JGHV. Um, you look at the NAVDA system versus the JGHV and the, the German systems, they mirror each other very closely and the NAVDA system has just kind of tweaked it a little bit to fit how we pursue game in the U.S. Um, you know, they've added a lot more duck in there. They've added a lot more bird work in there, especially with uh, utility and the imitational. Um, what they dropped off of it was a lot of the stuff uh, with the blood trailing, the blood tracking, and the furred, the furred piece. But they did leave it in there to a certain extent. If you read your aims book and you read your your testing, you can choose your drags. Yep, you can choose to bring fur game, but you have to bring your own fur game. I'm bringing a squirrel. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me and Mark, me and Mark, me and Mark Whaley had a conversation one time, and he had somebody show up with a squirrel, and, and he looked at him, and he goes. This never goes well, and of course the dog ate. <laughs> of course, the dog ate the squirrel. So I mean, you know. <laughs> oh, man. well, I, I was talking. I, I mean, can't. I can't remember if it was Larry or Norm, but I was talking to him, and I, I asked him how many times they've seen somebody actually bring the third option f- for them, and and one of them, I wish I remember who it was, but they were saying that somebody stopped and picked up just a roadkill raccoon one day on the way to the test. Oh, I, and it had been out there for like three or four days. Like it was just rotten and the thing was falling apart when they were doing the drag and it just, the dog did not pass the drag because it just, wait, the rules it, say you can bring, fur. the rule states to play it as it lies. Bring yep. your raccoon, man. Yep. Yep. I know exactly who that was. And that man, I mean, um, so that individual was, uh, Roy Thilberg. Roy Thilberg was very big in the DD world. Um, Roy was here in North Carolina in the Carolinas chapter. Um, he was an amazing individual, but man, his training and how he looked at stuff sometimes was just kind of, <laughs> uh, I remember we did when I first got involved in NAVDA quick, quick offshoot here. Yeah. When I first got involved, when I first got involved in NAVDA, we were invited to go do a like versatile dog or a dog seminar at the Bass Pro Shops in Charlotte, and uh, we were showing. You know, of course, we got 200 people there, and we're in a little drainage pond, and we're showing retrieving, we're showing this, we're showing that, and Roy proceeds to show the track portion. Roy produces a. a <laughs> probably found it on his way to Bass Pro Shops, but produces this dead raccoon <laughs> out of the back of his truck. Oh, man. <laughs> Drags it, not just through the parking lot, but in and around 
inside a Bass Pro Shop. <laughs> and then sends his dog, Asa, to go retrieve it. And, and like, everybody's like, what? And thankfully she did. I mean, but I like everybody was flipped out because here's this dog. She goes through the parking lot and between cars. Somebody opened the door for her. She goes in <laughs> and he, you know, in between all the clothes and everything else, and picks up this who knows how old dead raccoon and then brings it back to Roy. And I'm just like, Oh my, we were long story short. We were never asked back. Yeah. I well, guess so. I'm just picturing that person is like, man, I got a heck of a deal on a hoodie. Why does it smell so bad? <laughs> oh, you know, Roy Roy's Roy's NABDA number was 57. Okay. Oh my goodness. Yep. Wow. Yeah. So he, he was an old timer in the organization. He's a great, great, great guy. But, um, yeah, I think that's, you know, the, the German testing and setting up for NAVDA. So when I train dogs, you know, my personal dogs here, I train according to the German system and then really just small tweaks in order to make it fit NAVDA. Um, one of the reasons I was as successful as I was you know, having one of the youngest VCs in the organization was when Sonia came back from Sweden, I knew I had to do a Psalms that fall. And so I tested her in the local DD club. I tested her HZP, uh, which she had probably one of the highest scores of that year. And, um, I knew I was going to test her three weeks later at the Psalms test. So I took the opportunity. There was an opening in the other chapter here in North Carolina, the Carolinas chapter for utility. And it was more of, you know, Hey, I've been in Sweden for two years. I need to get kind of back into handling and understanding, handling my dogs and stuff like that. And so I entered her into the utility test, um, knowing that the tasks were a little bit different, but not terribly. And I wasn't worried really what she scored. It was just more of an opportunity for me and her to get out and, you know, get in the testing environment and, you know, me to see maybe where some of her shortcomings were and do it. Well, lo and behold, she squeaks out a prize one. It wasn't a perfect prize one, but she squeaks out a prize one at one year and one week old. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so now you're qualified. Like, okay. Do you go to the invitational or not? Right. Well, that's, that's what I was thinking. I was like, okay, cool. We'll finish all this and we'll test her again in the spring and we'll qualify for next year. Well, that same, the following week, my wife passed her dog, uh, which was a four year old short hair. She passed her dog at the utility at prize one. And Kylie looked at me and said, we're going to the invitational. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, if we're taking one dog, I guess we're taking two. <laughs> yeah, why not? So uh, we went through it. We just, you know, stayed steady. Um, and, and if it wasn't for that dog's level of cooperation and desire to please, um, you know, we went through that summer. Uh, we started training new tasks that she'd never seen before. Um, and long story short is we went to the invitational in Iowa and she passed at two years, two weeks old. Wow. That, so, that, that's um, yeah, a, you don't see many of those or maybe any of those, uh, you know, dogs that young passing yeah. the invitational. 
Yeah, there, there's a there's a few out there. I know uh, I know Peter Wade. He ran. He read my scores and he looked at it and he's like, "Damn it!" He says, "I thought I had the youngest one at two years and six months old." And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> "Brother, don't don't discount yourself. That's still an accomplishment, man." No, so, yeah. no kidding. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Well, well, Scott. But, I mean, we we've covered a lot of ground here tonight. We we dove deep into some of the German lineage and and testing and everything. We're definitely going to have to do another episode just specific training for for NAVDA and the German line testing. Uh, but speaking of training, I think we need to touch on. Uh, we have a event that we're starting to plan out and everything. Do you want to kind of speak on that a little bit? Yeah. So. Um after reaching out to you guys and, uh, seeing how much you guys have, have contributed back to the community uh, in our attempt to kind of contribute back to you guys and, and the community as well as, uh, we want to offer up a, uh, a training camp this, uh, this fall. Um, we'll bring in some individuals, uh, hopefully, uh, individuals that people recognize their names and, or are the, the brightest that I know within, uh, both NAVDA and, and some of the DK world, um, and run a three day training camp, uh, here at our facility in North Carolina. Yep. And so we're, we're still hashing out the details, but, uh, we, I think we're going to, we're working on something really special for, for a few of the listeners and people that are interested and in, in offering up stuff that's going to focus on a bunch of different stuff from, from steadiness to retrieving to basic obedience and, and, and a lot of stuff. And so it's going to be a, a fun thing as we kind of work this out and, and hash out the details and, and you'll definitely be hearing more about it upcoming soon. That's good. You know, the, the attempt is to be able to give everybody a, a pretty good overview. Uh, I don't want anybody to walk away from this being feeling like they had to drink from a fire hose. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it, you guys do a great job with what you guys do on the podcast and, and break this stuff down. But I mean, to cover everything you've got to do to take a dog from a puppy to a utility dog in one weekend, it, it's, there's a lot. Right. And so, uh, like you guys said, we'll focus on, uh, everything from, uh, foundation obedience and obedience to, uh, introduction to steadiness and steadiness. Um, we'll do, uh, introduction to force fetch and some, a little bit more on some advanced force fetch, depending on where people are at. But we want to encourage people to bring their dogs. Um, it's not going to be a you sit there and take notes type situation. I want people to be here with their dogs and interact with the trainers and say, hey, this is the hurdle I have. Or this is my, I don't understand how to get from point A to point Z. And uh, bring your dogs. Yeah, I think anyone that wants to come out to this you know, summer training camp or whatever, whatever, whatever we end up calling it, end up calling it. But, uh, anyone that's going to want to come out to it is going to want to bring their dog. Um, you know, that's, that's part of this. That's part of what we do is, is we like spending time with our dog. We love training our dogs and, and we want people that, that want to come out and do it themselves. Uh, we want them to come out and bring their own dogs that and it's going to offer you yeah. up an opportunity to to learn this this training but you're also not just learning and taking notes you're applying it with your dog the day of yep with with the with the trainer or expert and uh, 
yeah, I think it'll be an invaluable opportunity for some people that can make it. And, and like I said, I mean, we're going to have a lot more details coming up with the dates, pricing, uh, how many slots and, and all that fun stuff. And so just be on the lookout for it. But Scott, Scott reached out with this idea and we're on board as soon as he brought it up and, and we appreciate the opportunity. And, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. No, I appreciate it. And I would caution you on the word experts. <laughs> uh, <laughs> guys, you know, the only difference between me and and most people and, and even some of these other guys like Kyle and some of these other people, the, the difference is, is that I may be talking about the, you know, the, the 5,000th dog I've trained versus your one or two. Right. Um, yep. You know, I, I learned no different than you guys did. I was like, so now what do I do? Try something um, else. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it, even within NABDA, you're going to hear, and you guys know this, you're going to hear 20 schools of thought on how to do the same, same task. Yep. Um, it, it, it just, it's what works best for you. And, and most of the techniques and tactics that we'll try to, you know, discuss during that time frame are, fairly proven techniques some fairly proven tactics. It's what's worked for, you know, myself, Kyle, Grayson, you know, some of these other guys that have been doing this for, you know, 20 years. And that's really what it boils down to. It's not like, you know, it's not like anybody can't do this. Absolutely. You can train your own dog. I don't care if it's your first dog or, or your fifth dog, you can train your own dog. You just have to apply the techniques at work and understand what that dog's telling you during the training process. Uh, if you can learn that piece of it, you can train that dog to do anything. Right. Absolutely. We obviously we agree. And that's the purpose of this podcast is, you know, that, yeah, there are some invaluable resources out there as far as people are concerned such as yourself and and other trainers but if you want to do it yourself and you make it a priority you can do this and uh that like you said that's the main difference between a pro trainer that's been doing it for 30 to 40 years and and somebody just starting out is they've just had the opportunity uh they've had a lot more dogs to learn by process of elimination and what doesn't work and what, what they do see and, and the experience, but everybody has to start somewhere. And so that's kind of why we started this thing. And what this weekend is going to be about is learning from the people that, that have had that experience and, and can hopefully pass it on to someone else just starting out, whether it's your first dog, second dog, fifth dog, doesn't matter, but you're learning from people that have been able to put their hands on 500 to a thousand dogs or whatever it is. Yep. And it's not just put your hands on and train. It, it's mistakes. I, I still make mistakes. You know, every time I teach, you know, I work with a dog. I mean, it, you, you going to make mistakes. You're going to. Um, sure. And that's, it, that's where it, we really learn is, is from the mistakes that we make. And we really learn when other people share their mistakes. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely, guys. Well, Scott, I appreciate it. Do you want to give everybody a quick rundown on how they can uh, find you, your website, kennel information, stuff like that? Oh, uh, that's that, – I'm not here as a promo, guys, but, you know, <laughs> Rusty Guns Kennel. I mean, it, 
we are who we are. If you want to find us, it's not hard to do. Just Google search us. And, uh, you know, I'm here for you guys and, and try to hopefully get your, your listeners to understand a little bit more about the DK lines and hopefully here this fall or this end of the summer, you know, help some people get their, get their dogs where they want them to be. Perfect. Well, Scott, I appreciate you taking the time and uh, we'll definitely have you back on to talk more specific training and and maybe put out some more details on this event coming up and uh, you have a good night. All right. Sounds good, gentlemen. We'll talk to you later. All right. See you. Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again in a year. Go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.